Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live sports betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. Looking forward to uh, this week's show. And as always, appreciate you being with us. This is episode 20 of season four and we have uh and today is a monday um may 16th 2022 and we have uh, three special guests with us we have jeremy dixon who is the assistant director of athletic compliance at usc and then we have uh casey floyd who is the co-founder and chief compliance officer at no cap sports and then we have Freddie Trujillo, who is the NCAA Compliance Coordinator at UCLA. So three very special guests with us, and uh, hope that you enjoy uh, this week's episode. First is uh, uh, Jeremy Dixon. Uh, Jeremy and I uh, went to uh, law school together, and he is the Assistant Director for Athletic Compliance. Very knowledgeable and uh, and somebody who loves sports and um, and obviously, uh, very good at what he does. And then we have Casey Floyd, who is, uh, I believe based in Dallas, Texas. He is the co-founder and chief compliance officer at no cap sports, uh, which is a really great program that, uh, looks to educate, um, athletes and, um, and universities on, uh, name, image, and likeness. And, and all the, um, I'm sure everybody's sort of heard about it in terms of what's happened over the last almost, a, I guess, a year since uh, July 1st, 2021, when uh, a lot of these state laws went, went live with regard to name, image, and likeness. So uh, welcome, uh, Jeremy and Casey. Great to, uh, great to be with you guys. Great to be here. Yeah. Good to be here. No, it's, uh, it's great to be with you. And then, uh, uh, Freddie, do we have you on too? Yes, I'm here, Jeremy. Appreciate it. I'm calling in right now, but I am here. Hey, Freddie, how you doing? Not bad, man. Uh, you know, enjoying all these things that are going on these days. Spring sports uh, wrapping up now, a couple teams in postseason. So good time to be in Westwood. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And so Freddie Trujillo is uh, the NCAA compliance coordinator at UCLA. Uh, Freddie and I also went to law school together 
and uh, is again, very, very knowledgeable. And I want to say that Freddie and uh, Jeremy were both uh, classmates together. You guys graduate at the same time. Yep. Exact same time. And it's actually funny. So I haven't actually updated my LinkedIn. I'm actually at USC now. I'm not, oh. a, I'm not at Northridge anymore. So it's even funnier. So nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So you're at USC now. What's your, what's your title over there at USC? Uh, same as when I was at Northridge, assistant director cool. of athletic compliance. Okay, great. All right. So now we got that UCLA, UCLA, USC connection on here. So even, even better. All right. Well, now we've got the three uh, distinguished uh, gentlemen with us today. We'll get, we'll get right into it. So Freddie, if it's okay, let's start with you. Uh, maybe a little bit of your background, how you got into your current role and, uh, and what you're currently working on. Yeah, of course. Well, again, you know, I appreciate being here. Honored to, you know, speak on this panel. Uh, so I got my start actually in law school. I interned at San Diego State University as a compliance intern there uh, for my 1L and 2L year. And as soon as I graduated, I knew I had to, you know, instantly keep working. And I was enjoying what I was doing in compliance, you know, being a former student athlete at San Diego State. Um, it was just, it felt natural to me. Um, not only being able to apply uh, everything that I was learning in law school uh, to real life situations, but you know, situations that I had been in myself, you know, being a student athlete um, and, you know, being a part of something that was uh, really changing. I think obviously with the landscape and NIL, um, there's so much going on in our jobs. I'm sure Jeremy could attest to the same thing. Um, and so, you know, that's just really kept me in it. Um, I was able to get a position at UC San Diego. Uh, and then from there, I actually got a call up to UCLA by uh, actually our Associate Director of Compliance, Aaron Atkins. So I've been over there for now going on two and a half years. Uh, started in 2020 and you know, kind of never looked back. Oh, that's awesome. No, thanks for sharing that, Freddie. And then what, uh, what, what are you currently working on at UCLA? Um, obviously the NIL stuff, oh. but yeah, maybe talk a little bit about your role there. Yeah, man, oh, uh, the day-to-day -day always varies. I mean, now with, like I said, our spring sport postseasons are getting, beginning to wrap up. One of my teams that I am uh, the oversee is women's tennis. Uh, so we just finished up in Oklahoma. Unfortunately, we lost in the semis over there. So um, just getting our team back on track for out-of-season activities that they're getting ready for. Um, I have a hand in our official visits. So making sure that, you know, students are all registered on the eligibility center. We have transcripts and so on and so forth, all the standards that are required in that area. Um, and then also educating our students on, you know, NIL. So we just recently rolled out the Westwood Exchange, which is a partnership that we have with uh, Influencer uh, to open up our marketplace for student athletes and potential uh, companies to connect and, and create those NIL deals. So really, I mean, the day-to-day -day isn't very, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's normal, you know, because you can never really expect what you do on a daily basis. But um, I have my hands in some student services uh, activities as well with, you know, our housing and, and um, travel and all those things. So it's, it's really just kind of a jack of all trades at this point. I love it. Oh, that's cool, man. And then, uh, Casey, let's go to you. Uh, you've got such an interesting background as well. And you've, you know, you're an entrepreneur. You've started this brand new company. Um, tell us how you got your start and, and, and what no cap sports is all about. And of course, a little background with me and Casey, uh, Casey and I met through, uh, some sort of, uh, industry contacts and then, uh, just being connected on LinkedIn and, and through some mutual friends. 
And then uh, Casey put on a really cool um, sports competition and I got to compete in that. So um, anyway, Casey, enough, enough, I've spoken enough already. So tell us a little about yourself and, and um, how you got your start, what no cap is all about and what you're currently working on. Great. Well, thanks for having me here, Jeremy, and uh, happy to be here. And yeah, the, I remember you helped me with, I had a, I held a moot court competition with uh, eight law schools. Harvard ended up winning it, um, but it was about the NCAA versus Olsen case and just to help explain it to both sides using law students. Um, yeah, my background uh, after law school, um, I decided I didn't want to go into law and actually fell into NCAA compliance. Um, during law school at Washington and Lee, I interned for Desiree Reed Francis when she was still at Virginia Tech. She's now the AD at Missouri. Um, after that, uh, after graduating, I went to the Summer League Conference, which is a small Division I conference. Um, and then I went to the University of Utah. I spent the last four years at the University of Michigan as director of compliance before leaving a co-found No Cap Sports. Um, and so it's really that background. Um, no Cap Sports is an NIL marketplace that helps student athletes connect with businesses. We're different than some of the companies like um, we're just mentioned, Influencer, Open Doors, CLC Compass. We're completely free for the schools. We're completely free for the student athletes. We only make money on the brands that do deals on our platform. So let's say Nike offered an athlete $100 to promote their product. The athlete's going to keep $100. And then we charge the brand a service fee for hosting the platform, automating the technology. We automate the compliance forms for both sides and the school. And we also automate the tax forms for the athlete and the business automatically. Uh, and so we have 65 Division I schools using the platform right now, um, tons more uh, signing up. Uh, we do a ton of Division II and Division III schools, but for those, it's just kind of word of mouth. We don't really market to them. And so my day-to-day -day is mainly meeting with ADs or senior level administrators, demoing our platform, offering the services. Um, some of the schools you guys definitely know, University of Arkansas, Villanova, Boise State, UNLV, all on the platform. A lot of them use us in addition to an influencer and open doors. Uh, basically, because those companies are contracted with the schools, uh, there's conflict of interest if they're actually out there sourcing deals for the athletes. So they're really just passive entities. If a business comes on, great, does a deal with an athlete, but there's no real involvement or promotion marketing going uh, for the individual athletes. Our platform, because we're a free and open platform, there are no conflicts of interest. You can think of us like a uh, Instagram or Twitter. We're an open platform. Users just agree to our terms of service, our privacy policy to use our platform. And then um, so because of that, we are actually out there sourcing deals for athletes, constantly bringing them on. We just ran TikTok campaigns with like DoorDash, Cheesecake Factory. They post the deal opportunities. Athletes apply to them. They select from who they want. Or businesses can send deals directly to an athlete. And they can do any kind of deal, social media endorsement, appearance, autograph signing, really, really whatever you want. Wow. That's awesome. And then Casey, what kind of gave you the idea to start that? I mean, that's, it's a big deal, you know, and then of course to, to jump in the industry, 
um, and, and to just do it. I mean, it, it's, uh, not to, not to quote Nike, but I mean, that's essentially what you did. Right. But, um, so like what, what kind of, what did that take? I mean, what was kind of the thought process there? Man, I appreciate that question. And I'll, I'll be completely transparent. Uh, this was right after, so COVID just hit, we started working remotely and I really just wasn't, <laughs> I was already looking in the entrepreneurship route because I was unhappy with the day-to-day that I was doing. And um, I actually was, uh, took a real estate course. I was actually going to go into that full time and actually was learning how to flip homes. And then um, this, uh, I was helping a Michigan student athlete. So I was doing that on the weekends. I'm helping Michigan student athletes still. Um, a company had, had a question a Michigan soccer student athlete was interning for this tech company. Um, they wanted to use her image to promote the company. This is before the rule changes. So in my role in Michigan, they would come to me. I'd explain the loopholes, how we could kind of operate in the gray area. And um, at that point, I started getting to know the CEO. He kept asking me questions. He kept texting me compliance questions. And um, after like two weeks, I was like, listen, man, what are you doing? If I'm going to commit so much time, like, let me know. So he actually gave me a presentation, showed me what he's doing. I was really impressed. Uh, he had any real people on it, advisors and investors. And I was like, listen, you need to pivot a little bit. They were a little bit in the recruiting aspect. And I was told him, I said, listen, it's going to prohibit you in a lot of ways. If you incorporate this in your platform, what you need to do is create a marketplace for NIL, forget the recruiting, and automate compliance forms, automate the tax forms. This is the stuff that people need. And then you're going to help so many schools that can't afford an open doors or an influencer. And then um, from there, it kind of transitioned into like a real marketing company that, you know, that's where we make our money. And uh, that's not really where my role is. That's the chief revenue officer. I don't, you know, I'm not part of the meetings with the companies and such, but um yeah, it, it really just, um, when you start putting the energy out there that you want something different, the universal provider, and you just got to be willing to um, step out of your comfort zone. And that's the difficult thing. And that's really what entrepreneurship's about. So you either hit a, a point where you're just so unhappy that you're like, all right, I'm looking for something else. And that's where I was. I love it. No, that's good. I'm glad you took the plunge and you're, you've created something that just doesn't exist in the marketplace, which is great. And, and, you know, I wish you all the success, my friend on that and just really love what you've built. So Jeremy to you, uh, now over at USC, what's, uh, what's your role like there? How did you get into it? And, uh, what are you working on? Oh uh, yeah. Um, so I got into compliance somewhat back in 2014 as a student assistant in the, at the institution I was currently attending, which is Seton Hill university, in Pennsylvania, it's a Division II school. Um, happened to meet the compliance officer there. She thought that I'd be a good fit and that it'd be a good career for me. Um, and it also was a reason for me to kind of narrow in what I wanted to do after college. Uh, once I got to law school, Freddie can attest to this one L year. Um, it was it was crazy. Uh, it was very hard to, to get adjusted. Um, so I stayed away from compliance that year, the second year. Um, I decided to get more into the student orgs. And then by my three year, I decided I wanted to get back into compliance and 
and see exactly how that was going to take me. Um, so I ended up getting an internship over at San Marcos, another division two um, in North San Diego. I worked over there um, for the entire three a year. I was like, yeah, this is definitely the route that I want to go. Um, after graduating, I was like, uh, do I want to practice or do I actually want to stay in compliance and figure out this is the best route? Best route. Uh, so I took the New York bar and I was like, yeah, this isn't what I want to do. <laughs> this is these studying hours. It's just nah, not not for me at all. So I applied for a bunch of jobs in compliance and along the road, I ended up being at uh, CSUN Cal State Northridge from 2019 to uh, this previous August. Actually, Casey, I think uh, my former employer is a former coworker of yours over at University of Michigan. Um, so yeah, I was there from 2019 to this past August, and then an opportunity over here at USC opened up. Uh, I applied for it and got the position. Essentially here, I work with a multitude of sports, uh, primarily in the monitoring seat. So I, I watch a lot of uh, care activities, which is just countable athletic activities. Um, I make sure, kind of what Freddie said earlier, with official visits, for seven different sports. Um, I assist three of our directors here in anything that they need. So that could be for me doing influencer audits. Um, this is for me going on trips with our teams or uh, really just keeping an eye on the NLI space or rules education and things along that line. Make sure our coaches are always up to date on what the NCAA is putting out and as well as what our conference is putting out. Um, and as Freddie can attest to as well, our conference doesn't always agree with what the NCAA puts out, so we just kind of have to go with the swing of things. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, obviously, uh, is there a difference between? There's always difference between institutions, but is I mean, there's 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 got to be a difference between Cal State Northridge and USC in terms of uh, maybe volume of athletics and what you're dealing with as well, right? Yeah, I mean, so. Thankfully, I've had the ability to work at not only multiple institutions, but two different divisions as well. Um, one of the things that you'll learn is that each division is going to have certain needs, um, and then each institution is going to have certain needs from whether or not you're at a mid-major or a power five or somewhere in between. Um, like here at USC, and I'm assuming as well as at UCLA or anyone else that's in the Pac-12, is that some of the needs are going to have to be take a, a deeper look into um, you're going to have to take a deeper dive and really get into the nitty gritty. Whereas at a school like CSUN, you may be able to get by by just kind of scraping the middle of the barrel and not really getting too deep into it. Cause you just really don't have the manpower or the time to do so. Uh, so I definitely would say that's pretty much the big difference between being at a bigger institution and a smaller institution outside of the spotlight that's on you. Right. Now I appreciate you sharing that. And, so, you know, Freddie, going back to you uh, on this sort of, you know, your pathway, you know, obviously now you're at UCLA. Um, how, has, how has your role changed uh, since NIL came, came, came on board? Obviously, you mentioned this Westwood program. So maybe talk a little bit about how things have changed, but then also um, maybe what this Westwood program is going to do and sort of what the what the ideal, the ideal situation for UCLA and your athletes looks like if that program is working uh, to its best ability. So, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm sure every department, every athletic department in the nation is trying to navigate their way through this NIL space. But for us specifically, um, there's been a big change as far as the education piece goes. 
Uh, we really want to make sure that our student athletes are aware of all of the implications that are involved with these NIL deals. Um, you know, most specifically, you know, the taxes that they're going to have to eventually file if they do end up making money off these deals. Um, we wouldn't want to, uh, you know, our students to be held responsible or to not be knowledgeable of anything that they're going to be responsible for. So um, the education piece has been big. Uh, talking to our student athletes really on a, a weekly basis uh, who have the opportunities who are uh, contacted by certain companies through their social media to become influencers or to, uh, you know, make certain a certain number of posts uh, in uh, for those companies. Um, so other than that, you know, we really just try to make sure that uh, we are pushing out our student athletes as well and promoting them as much as we can. So with the, the Westwood Exchange, like we're, we, just, uh, we just started actually, that's going to be now the main area for our student athletes to connect with these companies. Before we didn't have a platform and it is similar. I mean, it is exactly as, you know, Casey was talking about and there's no cap and no cap. It, it does provide a space for student athletes and companies to connect. Um, now, unfortunately it isn't free, you know, UCLA is having to pay for the partnership with Influencer. Um, but, you know, with that partnership, they do have the ability to go on there, really see the companies that are signed up with our Westwood Exchange, and then, you know, just have that ability to reach out and try to set those deals. Um, you know, there before, I think UCLA was kind of in a space where we were trying to figure out what direction name and image likeness was going to go. Um, you know, Jeremy, you know, and everybody, can, you know, that's involved with NCAA compliance can probably say the same thing that the NCAA didn't really take a firm stance when it came to the NIL and their policies. Uh, I believe, you know, just personally that they had their hands tied at the end when they finally did have to, you know, put out a policy because they knew several states enacted their own set of laws that were going to go into effect. And so with that, you know, the NCAA didn't really have I mean, they had time. I mean, there was over two years that they could have prepared for, but they didn't, I guess, effectively plan the way that they were going to roll out their policy. Um, and so with that being said, they kind of just had to roll with the punches when it came to the new laws that were being enacted. And, and with that, now we're seeing, you know, the repercussions of that. We're seeing collectives, we're seeing um, student athletes and, you know, potential student athletes signing these huge outrageous deals before they even step foot on campus. Um, the NCAA has rolled up their sleeves now and said they're going to start taking a look uh, and actually today just released a new set of guidelines for uh, universities to to adhere to. Um, you know, the NCAA said that they were going to start taking a look at certain schools and deals that, that student athletes have made and potential student athletes to see if there were any violations to these new rules. So um, now that they're getting back on track, we, we we're, at UCLA, we're really just trying to ensure that we do, like I said, educate the student athletes, um, you know, we're going to, I'm sure, meet with, as a team to, to go over these new, um, you know, guidelines that the NCAA put out today uh, to make sure our student athletes are well aware and our boosters and, and you know, our, our coaches, so that way they can continue to do what they're doing and, and try to promote the student athletes as much as they can, because like Jeremy said, there's a big difference, you know, in tiers, you know, when you have your mid-major uh, between your mid-major and your D1, uh, you're seeing a lot more of these, you know, Lamborghini dealerships reaching out and connecting with student athletes on the, the Power 5 level, and you may not be seeing that as much as on the D2 or the, the mid-major level, but it is possible, you know, so 
just making sure that everybody is aware and, and has that same equal footing as far as what they're able to uh, put out there for themselves. Because just because you're at a D2 school doesn't mean that you can't make the same deals. Um, a lot of these companies are looking for student athletes with the biggest influence, right? So if you're the number one D2 running back and you have 500,000 followers or 50,000 followers, even that we've seen, they are able to make deals. So um, for us, it's really just about that education and making sure that we're pushing our students, you know, to the forefront as much as possible. Uh, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a fun time. It's definitely a fun time. I say that, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but uh, it's a changing landscape. And so you just got to make sure you're ahead of the curve. Yeah. No, I love that. And and I imagine UCLA and USC are right at their forefront of some of those changes and what's going, what's going on across the country. Um, oh yeah. We're always taking a peek down the street to see what they're doing down there. <laughs> yeah. Amen, man. Uh, the competition is, is, is on and off the field, I'm sure. But, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, Casey, I'm going to go to you on this next question. Uh, so what do you kind of see as maybe some of the issues upcoming with NIL? You know, Freddie obviously talked about uh, NCAA maybe uh, try to come down hard or create new rules when it comes to NIL, because it's kind of been the wild west this last year or so. What are, what are some of the issues that you kind of see on the horizon? Well, that's a great question. You know, as Freddie was saying, as Freddie was talking and he was saying that NCAA had a bunch of time to, you know, create rules. I was on the legislation and governance committee for five years. Okay. We gave a lot of feedback over that time. Not a single thing got taken. So there's a reason why the rules weren't um, enacted. And I think that goes to the, the potential lawsuits. So um, even today, I, I saw the guidance that Freddie's talking about, they just published, you know, some, some more recommendations on how boosters can interact, right? I think this is just a lawsuit waiting to happen. And I think the NCAA, just to get back to the point, isn't um, creating rules and guidelines around NIL because of the lawsuits, but, but also because they kind of want chaos right now, okay? Because they're trying to get legislation in Congress. To get Congress to act, you need chaos. You need a reason for them to act. They're not just gonna, um, they've never legislated in college athletics. They're not just gonna do it on their own. Um, and I think this is kind of that manufactured way to do it, which is really smart politically. I mean, that that is how people play the game. And so um, I think that's one of the big issues coming up is what's gonna happen? What's the lawsuit gonna look like? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And to your point, Casey, this has been going on a long time, going all the way back to Ed O'Bannon and his lawsuit and EA sports. And now it's somewhat, there's the irony is pretty thick when it comes to now EA sports is going to be having NCAA athletes, but they're going to get paid. Right. Um, so, which is good. Uh, I think, it's sort of, there's been this long time coming thing. And I will, to your point about the NCAA having an opportunity, it wasn't that, you know, I think, what was it? Mark Emmert, who's the, you know, um, the head of, of the NCAA are uh, soon to be a leaving head because he's, uh, he's no longer going to be the NCAA, I think after next year or after this year. But uh, he had said that it was California's legislation that really forced them to make the, the change to NIL, which was essentially to remove the restriction on 
athletes being able to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Um, that being said, the legislation for rights of publicity have been on the books for years. It's just that the NCAA required, you know, basically said you couldn't do it. So, you know, obviously, Jeremy, going over to you, USC is a big school. It's a private school. Um, a lot of boosters are involved. Uh, you know, huge athletic program, right? What are some of the issues maybe that you kind of foresee upcoming in terms of NIL? And what are some of the things that maybe USC is going to be doing, if you can talk about it, uh, in terms of trying to protect your athletes and, and try to prepare them for the next step in the pros or, or just in life in general? Um, I think kind of what we're in the same space as what Freddie said about UCLA. Uh, I think everyone's kind of in this space where everyone kind of doesn't want to make the wrong move. They don't want to get sued by a student athlete. And I, and I feel like the NCAA is kind of in the same boat especially since we're in this middle of, I'm in the middle of this thing called modernization or transforming, or I forget what, what we say from a week to week basis, but essentially the NCAA is, is kind of tired of being the scapegoat of not allowing student athletes to be paid or not, not always being, um, I guess, the person who we point fingers to when things don't go right with student athletes. Uh, I think that's the other piece that is, is not really talked about too much is because NCAA has, has kind of pulled back and said that uh, we're going to allow institutions to kind of say what they need and allow those conferences to provide the needs uh, or vice versa and allow the conferences to allow more freedom in their areas and allow for each institution to take care of things that they need based on access. Um, like Freddie was saying, and like I said earlier, certain power five schools are kind of running away with the race uh, with just a access that they have or just kind of money that they have access to or that just the program's massive marketing and marketing capability that you don't necessarily see at every institution so yeah we'll see deals at division two or division three or even some of these smaller schools but if we're being honest the, the larger market are with the larger schools um but the big piece that i think for nio that i'm more looking forward to for an answer for is dealing with international students because at this point in time, international students are not able to receive anything at all. And they are still student athletes, but they're just not being able to reap, they're not, they're not able to reap the benefits of these NIL deals because whether the countries don't allow them to uh, receive income based on whatever their visa status is or each state to state law, because that's the other piece to keep in mind as well is that California's law is different than Nevada's law and Nevada's law is different than Florida's law. And it's just, trickles down from state to state. Uh, so I think once a federal law is made or, or Congress comes out and actually says something to make things more uniform, that's when we'll really start to have an answer on where this NIL space is going to go. I think we're going to stay in this wild, wild space, wild, wild west space for probably at least another year or so, unless the NCAA comes out and makes a strong stand or Congress comes out and actually passes a bill because there's a bill coming through right now in California. Um, I think it's 1401, Freddie, let me know if I'm wrong on that one. Um, then that's going to completely change up the NIL market space um, just based on uh, what student athletes will be able to take part in, whether or not pay for play is actually something that is realistic, even though we know it's kind of happening, but it's not happening. And we're just trying to find ways not to say it. But it's just this space is it's constantly growing. Um, and until we kind of decide as a whole, of how we're going to monitor it from 
either state to state or just globally, it's going to continue to be as open as it is right now. I mean, like I'm pretty sure some of you are following in the news right now, the whole case with the Miami kids, uh, where one kid's now threatening to leave Miami, the University of Miami, because his NIL deal isn't as large as another incoming NIL deal. So is that considered to be pay for play or are we just saying that this is just kind of a part of the game and each state allows for certain things to happen, doesn't necessarily discourage um, this stuff from happening, but then you start to get into antitrust and, and how exactly that falls in this game. So it's, it's very, very difficult to really give you an answer, Jeremy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's just so much going on right now. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And, um, and to your point and to Casey's point, you know, one was the NCAA had an opportunity to do this, to make changes. And to Casey's point about um, this idea that, and to your point too, Jeremy, about it being the Wild West, um, we live in sort of a, a constitutional republic, right? So meaning that mostly states have rights and then the government has limited rights or limited sort of areas to work within the law. So it's, it's a little bit crazy to think that Congress would step in and have a national law. Like to me, it just seems unrealistic. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but now I don't know how you guys feel about that, Casey, Jeremy, and, and, and Freddie, but I just don't see Congress doing it. I think they're going to probably leave it to the states to figure it out. I might be completely wrong on that. I think the NCAA, maybe they institute some national model that says, here's the standard thresholds or what have you. But I tell you, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to play out because Jeremy, to your point about pay for play, um, it comes up all the time. Uh, for example, uh, how do you deal with a situation where let's say an athlete has a clause in his contract that deals with injury? Is it pay for play when th there's a clause in the contract that says that the athlete is not available, that the contract automatically extends for another term, let's say for promoting a product or what have you, I would argue that it doesn't. Right. Because the because the, the, at the end of the day, you have to be available. You're you're essentially purchasing somebody's name, image and likeness uh, power in the marketplace to, to promote a product. So if that person is not playing um, and you're not paying him to play in the sense of you're giving him incentives to play. You're just saying for you to be valuable to us, you have to play the sport that we signed up for. But I don't know. I'd be kind of curious on what your guys' thoughts are on that. But these are all issues that I think are going to continue to come forward and uh, and either the space is going to be completely blown up and <laughs> we're going to start having contracts for these players, or we're going to continue to kind of navigate the space. But uh, it, I'm, I'm sort of curious, Casey, what are your, or Freddie, what are your thoughts on the, the pay for play scheme and, and, um, and some of those issues that come up there and how, how UCLA is going to try to tackle some of those problems. I, I just think that you hit the nail right on the head, you know, with the whole pay for play term in itself has been so just split either way um, based on each individual student athlete's contract. Uh, we've seen it defined in one way in the Big Ten, and it defines a completely opposite way in the Pac-12. And that, I think, is the question that we would really like the NCAA to answer is, what is the definition of pay for play? So that way, whenever we get into situations where there are, those clauses do exist in our student athlete, you know, contracts, we 
have a, a direction or a precedent that we can start to navigate on. Um, but that, I mean, just the pay for play aspect in itself, you know, um, with, with your example that you said, you know, with a student athlete maybe not being available because of injury, then his you know contract wouldn't then uh, go into effect until he was able to be- play again. Um, that's an interesting one. Uh, we would like to think that our athletes are making deals based off of their avil- avil- ability to play, um, because in most cases, and you know, as the, the contracts that I've seen, um, most of them are based off of just the students' ability ability to post something on their social media, right? So it wasn't really holding the value in their ability to be on the court as much as it was just focused on their the the value of their name image likeness in itself um so you know 30 so 30 30 000 followers you can post so many times okay we're going to get that value out of those posts it doesn't matter if you're playing or if, if you're sitting on the bench or if you're hurt um but i think just that specific you know the pay for play aspect i think is just one that has been discussed on numerous calls that i've been on focus in the nil that i've had discussions on in the office and I think are continue are going to continue to be had until we finally get something from the NCAA. Um, but just the whole controlled chaos thing, and also um, Congress not acting until there is a really hard set reason to. Uh, they've left so much up to the state, like you said, uh, that I think that it'll you know possibly continue in the same way until there's just an absolute need for it. But at this point, there really isn't. Yeah, Casey, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think? And thanks for that, Freddie. I mean, do you think there's going to be national legislation? I mean, yeah. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, I don't um, <laughs> like we, and this is a, this is a good question that gets skipped by everyone. Right. When was like, what are other times where our federal government has trumped state rights? Very few. We're talking about like, um, my gosh, like freeing slaves and women's voting rights and, and like very important issues that it was like so important. That's like, hey, we don't care what you say, states like this is going to be the way. Right. And I just don't see how college sports can be like be that issue in America, even though it's like, you know, multi-billion dollar industry and it consumes so many, you know, so much awareness of everyone right um it's a huge part of our culture and you know um our our lives so it's interesting it's so important but i never hear anyone ask that question it's so interesting because it's like um yeah a sports issue but it is becoming such a big deal in everyone's lives that i think that's where it's like like freddie said you know if the chaos gets to the point who knows what's going to happen and um so we'll see, but no, I don't think there'll be federal legislation. Um, and then to the other point, I, I agree in, in for uh, whether or not it's pay for play, right? Intuitively, sometimes we know that some of these deals are pay for play, right? But the contracts and the wording is not contingent on, they're not written into the contract. I've seen deals that are, you know, this is how they get away, get loopholes right that's a compliance officer's job um freddie and jeremy both know it you're trying to get to a yes right you're trying that's your job is to get a competitive advantage for your coaches your athletes right so what i've seen is some of these nil deals although they're not contingent on like 
going to a certain school, they'll write into the contracts like you got to be available at this, you know, to do an appearance and it's during season on a Friday. Are you going to be able to make that? No, if you transfer schools, you're not going to be able to make it back to do those appearances. So the contract to be voided. But is that contract written contingent on you going to that school? No, it's not. Legally, it's fine. So there's loopholes that people are doing, take advantage of and, and do it. So it's interesting what will actually be defined as like pay for play and these things. Um, but it's, it's just an interesting like way where you can, you can get paid because you're really good at a sport, but it can't be paid like to win or score a game. And your, your value can be increased by you doing better at that sport. Right. So it seems like we're just kind of, you know, not facing the real issue that these athletes deserve to be paid for their time and the value that they're bringing to the market. And right now these boosters and NIL collectives are that like, they're solving the issue. There's a market right now for player talent. The collectives are stepping in because the schools won't pay. They're stepping in because there is a real market for the that athletic value right but not every deal is like that you know on no cap sports just to be clear i'm just telling everyone like the scope of what's happening but no cap sports we're compliant marketplace um we don't operate in that way and actually i wanted to actually make it clear on like the value of other things that we bring i want to put in an example profile so everyone can see a misconception that a lot of people realize in this industry is the brands actually prefer working with micro influencers, like a lot of people with 2,000 to 5,000 followers, because they can spread out their marketing budget amongst more people than just like someone that has a million followers. And the engagement rate is much higher with the micro influencers than the macro influencers. So like micro influencer, it's like 20% engagement rate. Macro, you pay a ton of money and it's like a 1% engagement rate. Most of their followers are very passive. They don't like click, comment, share, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Let me, th I'll throw a, a profile in just so you can see they're all public, but um, yeah. Well, thanks for that, Casey. No, that's good. And as we are, you're pulling up that profile, um, you know, it, it's an interesting point because one of the, one of the laws or one of the little uh, points of the fair pay to play act, which is California's version of name, image, and likeness provides that an agent or an attorney who's working with uh, a student athlete um, cannot discuss uh, their future draft prospects with the agent, but they're allowed to discuss, obviously, NIL deals. Now, from a very practical standpoint, that's impossible because, and frankly, if I was an agent and I was representing, um, uh, you know, let's say a USC or UCLA athlete, and I'm working with them that conversation is going to come up because you're going to be like, Oh, well, I've got one to two, three years left of school. Um, you know, maybe less depending on what sport you're playing. I want to go pro and, um, you can help me land this NIL deal. And that's going to show me if I'm the athlete, it's going to show me, um, you know, sort of what the, what the agent can do, uh, in terms of what their skill set is and what relationships they have. And so of course they're going to want to work with that person. And so to, to, I think for, for, 
the law, I think, is trying to make it so that it wasn't pay for play or that there wasn't conversations going on as to what happens post, you know, uh, school. But I think it's kind of short sighted, right? Because you want those conversations to happen. You want people to be prepared for the next level. Uh, and you want people to be able to tell them whether they're actually going to be good enough to make it to the next level, right? Because um, I think NIL, the example I always like to give is with Tim Tebow. It's like, here's a guy who probably could have made multi tens, 20, $30 million or more as a college athlete. Uh, it, you know, had he been able to do NIL when he was, when he was at the university of Florida. Uh, but of course, and then of course he had a short career in the NFL and then he tried to tried to get into baseball through the Mets organization. I don't think he's still playing. He might still be at double a, but I don't know. It's just an interesting thing to kind of see where this is going, but uh, Freddie and then Jeremy and then um, Casey will do one more question and then uh, um, let you guys uh, let you guys get on your way. But so Freddie, in your role, I mean, do you see um, you're obviously dealing with this Westwood program that you've implemented? Do you see other schools kind of taking that same route of sort of owning owning the space and sort of having more control over the athletes, or do you see schools maybe taking a less uh, direct approach to this, you know, across the country. Uh, that is a great question. I mean, I feel like it depends on each uh, department's budget, <laughs> to be completely honest. If they have the ability to carve out uh, some money for one of these programs, you know, um, or, you know, even bring one in, like no cap, uh, then they will. I think specifically, you know, for UCLA, the, the need was for us to have a specific space that we could connect student athletes and companies. I don't think that that was a space that we had before. And I think that that's a space that a lot of universities, uh, you know, institutions want to create because they will then have the ability to keep those student athletes there kind of in their bubble. Right now we're seeing a lot of students transfer to other universities because of, you know, possible NIL deals that they could get there. Um, and so if they're actually to keep those student athletes in their, you know, in their universities um, by giving them now this ability to connect directly with these companies, with the Nikes, with, um, you know, the Lamborghinis, with the, you know, Lululemons that sign up with those marketplaces, um, then that will just benefit, you know, their school because they'll be able to hold on to those, those high profile student athletes. Um, I know that that's kind of been one thing that's hit everybody in one way or another is just the combination of the transfer portal and the one-time transfer exception and then now nil we're seeing student athletes flip all over the country uh, because they know they can go to another university and instantly become eligible and get on the field and also have the ability to instantly find a deal with the local car dealership or the local pizza shop or whatever it is a big time com uh, big time companies so um, I think UCLA is trying to keep up. Uh, I think every institution is trying to keep up. Uh, and one way that they're doing it is by partnering with companies like NoCap um, and Influencer and, and spaces that can create platforms that can create that marketplace um, to create that, you know, that environment for student athletes to just build on their own, you know, brand within that university itself without having to look elsewhere. Uh, yeah. But it's tough, man. It's tough. No, I, I agree. It's a, but I tell you, man, I love what what schools are doing, and and there's, I mean, there's a thousand different models out there, 
I mean, you know, you got like University yeah. of Houston that's created a whole analytics program on this and and sort of what what things look like and not not dissimilar from what uh, from what Casey shared in terms of the a sample profile, um, you know, for that uh, Oklahoma State athlete um, track star in terms of what's what's their level of engagement, uh, how many followers do they have, you know, that sort of thing, uh, which is great. And, you know, you have things like. Yeah. Um, you know, open doors where, you know, where they have a deal with Twitter where you can basically log in, sign up and then have, um, you know, sort of prepackaged deals you can do, you know, where if you have so many followers or what have you, but so Jeremy to you and then Casey, we'll, we'll close with you. Um, you know, we always, we already talked Sorry, Jeremy, about, could, are you, uh, go ahead, Freddie. Yeah, you got to get going. I was going to say, no, I was just going to say, could I just add one more thing? One yeah, thing go ahead. UCLA has added as, as well, you know, on top of the partnership with, with influencers, uh, we've partnered with our law school, so UCLA Law, um, to create a pilot program um, and a clinic for student athletes that may not be as high profile to have free uh, access to actual lawyers and agents to discuss with them, you know, all of the implications of a possible contract they could enter into. So, we're creating those resources for student athletes to, you know, not only partner with the companies through influencer, but also within UCLA itself and this pilot program that we have with the law school um, to just educate them and, you know, provide that, that, that free resource for them to know what to look for to, um, you know, if a representative, uh, if an agent comes to them and wants to represent them to be aware of everything that goes into that. So just wanted to throw that in there. Another, another little resource that we have at UCLA. All right. No, and that's fantastic. Not sure if other <laughs> oh, go ahead, Freddie. Not sure if any other schools are doing that as well as they have, you know, the law schools there at their universities, but I think that's a great opportunity for students. Yeah. And I love the connection too. Jeremy, what what about you? You you as USC uh got 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 their law school uh involved in some of this or what? Oh, it's in talks. Uh it's definitely <laughs> in talks right now. Yeah. Uh, we've uh I think the, the thing about this NIL space is uh, a lot of people are following on the California law where we don't really have to get too deep into it or too, too far into it because California just requires our student athletes to disclose. So with that in mind, we've kind of taken a step back and, and have been trying to figure out what the best route is for an institution of our size and for an institution um, that is in the same space as UCLA, um, just kind of different. Um, we're a private institution, so our our tuition is at a different level than over at UCLA. So not only do they have the one up on us of having um, same grade education at a little bit lower price, but they're also helping their student athletes reach NIL deals. And we're in that same space where we're trying to create this, but also fight this hurdle where we're trying to make sure our students, that's real funny. That is real funny, Freddie. <laughs> uh we're also trying to fight this space where uh <laughs> we're also trying to fight this space where we're, we're fighting over what our tuition cost is uh so that's that's like a hurdle that we're trying to get over but i mean we're seeing across the country you see collectives where boosters are getting together um you have i think it's the i think uh tight end something over in texas where boosters are really paying um all the tight ends on the football team a certain amount of money to just show up for certain events, things like that. You're seeing the stuff that's going on over in Miami um, where several boosters have come out where they said you can get free gym membership um, by just 
posting us or we'll pay you, I think it's $500 a month. I forget exactly what it is. Uh, then you have a, just a, a slew of other things that are happening. And then we have situations where institutions are trying to really assist in this NI level, but without trying to overstep the boundaries. Because I think one of the biggest fears right now is that NCAA is just going to come out and say, there's too much is going on right now. We're just going to go ahead and retract our rules. Um, we've seen that just recently in the modernization piece with us is that they went ahead and determined that this might have been too early or there might have been a better route to do it. So they retracted some of the stuff that was supposed to come forward in this upcoming year. Um, the other pieces, I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy that grew up during the early 2000s. So I watched a school like Oregon attract a ton of um, potential student athletes to their, their school alone just simply because they had 10 different outfit changes for their football team. And that's kind of the space we're seeing right now. It's like, all right, who's going to be able to put together the best NIL packages? Who's going to be able to put together the best NIL market for this, their incoming student athletes and the student athletes that are currently there? And thankfully, we're in a space to where we're in Los Angeles, so that definitely helps because we're one of the media capitals, media capitals of the world. But it still doesn't like the fact that based on technology and social media, you can pretty much start a brand in I don't know, with Anchorage, Alaska, and have the same pool and influence that you would here in Los Angeles. So at this point, I would say that we're really still trying to navigate where we're going um, and how not to cause too big of a rift. Because um, I know there's been issues where a certain school has allowed something and then 10, 10 20 different schools have come out and said, is that, is that really allowed? Is that okay? Like, are, are, we, are, are we allowed to do that? Um, I take the Memphis uh, school, they, Memphis University, they had a booster. I think one of the biggest boosters, FedEx or something like that. They had a given NIL deal to a student athlete. He met with that student athlete while he was on an official visit. Is that permissible? Can we allow our boosters to meet with our student athletes for NIL deals while they're on campus? Um, so these are all spaces and, and questions that we're trying to get answered. I don't think we're going to get anything from Congress in regards to really making a law or a rule or whatever we want to call it at this point. Um, but I think what's probably going to end up happening is this is just going to say institutions do what you want to do and you're governed by your conference. And then the conferences are going to have to say what's best for everyone as a whole. But as it comes to navigating this NIL space right now, it is, you got, you got to take your ups and your downs and your, and your wins where you can get them because it's constantly changing. Um, like, we said earlier, each state's got its own rules, so you're, you're going against those things. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult to give you an answer. Uh, if, if anything, I would want to say you want to be in a space where uh, Casey's at right now because Casey, they're creating the rules as, as, as much as it is right now. Like, uh, organizations like NoCap, they're essentially pushing the boundaries without really too much repercussions, but they're, they're essentially creating the space as it's growing right now. So, yeah. Love it. So now I appreciate you sharing that, Jeremy. And so let's, let's have a last thought with you, Casey. What, uh, what's on the horizon for no cap sports, man. What's the, what's the ideal position for no cap? What, what are you thinking? Man, I would love to be helping every school. You know, a lot of our schools have an open doors or an influencer, but again, they're not out there sourcing deals for the athletes. So ideally, I'm helping all the schools, helping them sharing information. We have a ton of education, um, financial literacy, branding, social media, 
some basic legal, you know, what are trademarks, what kind of questions you ask, how much did it cost, that kind of stuff to, you know, give them some kind of foundation to go on. You know, we teach budgeting, how to create a budget. We automate the taxes to help too. So um, ideally helping as many student athletes as possible. Schools don't have to use us as schools that don't. Basically athletes still sign up. They can still make money, do deals. But when it comes to like doing the deal, it'll ask them, did you disclose this to your school? They come back whenever they've you know done whatever they need to. Yes, then it can proceed. Otherwise the school is their portal. It goes to the school. School acknowledges disclosure, goes back to the athlete, sign the contract and get paid. So I would love to help athletes um, and businesses connect and uh, help create financial freedom. I love that. You know, and it's funny, you know, Casey, you mentioned earlier about, you know, sort of evidence against Congress stepping in and, and, and of course, Freddie and, uh, um, and Jeremy both agreed. If anything, there's evidence uh, showing that Congress is not willing to do it. If you look at baseball, it seems like anytime there's a, a labor dispute or something going on, uh, Congress will threaten to get rid of the antitrust exemption. It's not going to happen, you know, um, or uh, when the steroid problem was going on, they said, oh, we're going to regulate baseball. And it's like, no, it was just more like we're going to threaten to get changes, but it's not going to I mean, I just don't think Congress <laughs> would do it. Right. But it's going to be interesting how people navigate this space. But uh, I think it was Jeremy that said or Freddie that said or maybe Casey, you said it about we live in such a fantastic time, though, because this is such a great opportunity for these athletes to. Um, to make money, to grow their businesses and to utilize their celebrity to make money. I mean, uh, and, and to me, I think that's, that's a great marketplace. Um, I think the next thing is, uh, maybe getting a minor league system for the NFL <laughs> and maybe a minor league system for, for the NBA, but, uh, unlikely to happen. But, uh, anyway, we'll sort of see how that plays out, but Casey, Jeremy, Freddie, you guys have been awesome. Um, and uh, really appreciate you being here tonight. All right, folks, thanks again for listening in. Uh, that was a, a very special panel that we had uh, with Jeremy Dixon, Casey Floyd, and uh, Freddie Trujillo, um, Jeremy being at uh, University of Southern California, uh, Casey being at No Cap Sports, which focuses on NIL, and then, of course, uh, Freddie Trujillo, who is at UCLA or the University of California, Los Angeles. So thank you again for making the Believe in Sports Law podcast with Jeremy Evans, the number one sports law podcast in the world. And looking forward to being back with you uh, next week. Thank you so much. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube